Welcome to the Talking Villanova Basketball Podcast presented by Hartford Funds. In each episode, two-time NCAA champion coach Jay Wright chats with figures from across the spectrum of the Nova Nation and beyond. Current players, prominent alums, and national basketball figures are all part of the mix as we honor the 100-plus year history of one of America's most storied college basketball programs. The Talking Villanova Basketball Show, hosted by Jay Wright, originated in 2001. The program, now in its 20th season, shifted from terrestrial radio to the world of podcasts in 2019. This is a production of Villanova Sports Properties in conjunction with Villanova Athletics. Hartford Funds is in its third season as the presenting sponsor of the Talking Villanova Basketball Podcast. We invite you to settle in and enjoy as Coach Wright takes us into today's conversation. Welcome to a very special Zoom conversation today on the Talking Villanova Basketball Podcast presented by Hartford Funds. And Coach, I'm going to let you uh, introduce our amazing student athletes we have with us today. Thank you, Michael. We have, uh, we've had a great run here and um, in, in our theme of Black Lives Matter, we've hit on all generations except the real powerful generation right now. We, we've had George Raveling and we've had Kerry Kittles and, and um, Ed Pinckney, uh, Randy Foy, and we've got great perspective, but the, the, the generation that is bringing the energy and, 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 and changing things right now and bringing the passion is, is our student athletes right now at Villanova. And we have three of the best. Um, we have Danielle Burns. Danielle, welcome. Hello. Good to have you. We're going to talk individually uh, about, about you guys, but um, I, 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 a very accomplished member of the women's track team, fifth year senior. So you're the, you're the wise, you're the wise old owl of this group, Danielle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the wise one. I'm the vet in the group. You got it. We'll count on your wisdom. Yeah. And then we have a two sport star, um, track and volleyball, a gold medal winner at the Pan Am games, Sanaa Barnes. How are you, Sanaa? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. So now I was the head coach of the men's basketball team for USA in the Pan Am games. We came in fifth place. So I know how good you have to be to get a gold medal there. You're a stud girl. Thank you. That is awesome. Many other accomplishments for both of you, but we've got other topics to talk about. And then we also have the heart and soul of, of our basketball team, one of our leaders and, and, and a, a true great representative of Villanova basketball, Tamir Cosby Roundtree. How are you, buddy? What's up, coach? How are you? Good, man. From your new house in West Philly. Yeah, man. It's nice out here. It's quiet. Moved out of Southwest to, to West Philly. Great part of the city with great players. And uh, looks nice, man. Looks like you're in a nice spot there. Good for you. Good to have you on, buddy. All right, guys, let, let's just talk so our, our Villanova people know. Um, Danielle, tell me, about, tell me about where you're from, you know, how you, as a, as a, as a black student athlete, how you picked Villanova. Let's start with that. Where you're from, home, and how you picked Villanova. And kind of the, the aspect of being a young black woman picking Villanova, a, a predominantly white school. Yeah, so I'm actually from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way on the other side of the country. Um, I had a really unique um, experience with my college process. So one of Sana's teammates actually is from Arizona as well. And she took a visit and she really liked it. And she was like, hey, they just redid the track offices. Like, wouldn't that be crazy if we both went together? And I was like, what even is Villanova? <laughs> and then... Um, then you guys won the championship and I was like, Oh, that's Villanova. Okay. So then, um, ended up reaching out to the coaches and we worked something out and I came, um, it was definitely a question on my mind regarding demographics and what it would be, what it would be like to be a black woman on campus. 
Um, it didn't concern me too much. I, I was someone where I, I thought about the differences between a PWI and an HBCU, a historically black college. And I thought that um, at the time that this was probably the best choice for me. And it was kind of having to decide between demographics and being a little bit more comfortable identity wise and um, deciding, okay, track wise and academics wise. So I kind of decided to make that compromise. Um, and I was really fortunate to have a lot of people that looked like me on my team, um, which definitely contributed to me picking Villanova. But I think for me, like just going on the campus the first time, uh, I actually ran into Daryl Reynolds and he kind of, I talked to him about it and um, we kind we just, we talked at the, in the pavilion and he kind of just gave me this idea that I'd still have this family experience, even though it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the demographics that I was used to. Um, so that's kind of my story there. Very cool. So wait a minute, are you saying we got this talented of an athlete and great student and you contacted them? Yeah, so that's, that's the kind of the route what I went. for us, Danielle. Yeah. That never happens to me. Yeah, I reached out. I was like, hey, do you think you could give me some money um, since <laughs> I need it? <laughs> uh, uh, that, that's, that is nice. That, that, that's nice for uh, Coach O'Sullivan and Gina. I like that. Yeah. So now, how, how about you? Where are you from? Where's home? And what was your choice in choosing Villanova? So I am from Keller, Texas, which is on the outskirts of Dallas-Fort Worth. So I'm in like the suburbs of Dallas-Fort Worth. And my process of choosing Villanova was also very interesting. Like, of course, I'm from, um, I'm, I do volleyball. So they got first pick because volleyball recruits very young. I started getting recruited around eighth grade. And so me being an eighth grader, I was like, I don't know what all this is. I just know how to go to college. And then here come Josh. I just see um, I just see this tall white male, bald, shiny head, just sitting at my courts during club season. And I'm just trying to figure out who this, who that is. My dad goes, "Oh, he coaches at Villanova." And much like Danny, I was like, "What's Villanova?" <laughs> and so I started looking it up, researching it a little. And my dad's like, "Think about the demographics." And of course, I also thought about going to HBCU because it's tradition that my family goes to HBCUs. But for me, recruiting process, a lot of the HBCUs never contacted me. And so I was actually looking at places like Arkansas and stuff like that to stay down South because I felt like I'd be more comfortable with that. But I was also only child, so I was very tempted to get away. And so it kind of was, it was interesting because track coaches don't recruit you until your senior, junior, senior year of high school. And so there's a lot of miscommunication as far as track. A lot of track schools heard that I wasn't doing track in college, which was miscommunicated through the volleyball side. And it turns out that honestly, I had to go and pray about it because I was overwhelmed and nervous. I was gonna make the wrong decision. And I get, I talk to Josh, I come up and I do a visit because I went, I actually had a series of several colleges that summer. I visited, I believe Arkansas ASU, and I was supposed to go to Miami. And I was like, oh, I love these places. It's in the warm and everything. And then I prayed about it like right before I got on the flight to go to Villanova. And I was like praying that God would tell me like, if this is spot for me, he would show me a sign. I get on campus, I fell in love instantly. As soon as I stepped off campus for, um, after camp, I told my parents like, that's where I'm going. I'm going there. And they're like, Snog, you have so many other colleges to visit. You can't just do that. And I was like, nope, that's the place. Because, and I'll tell you what sold me. All the other colleges that I talked to, all the volleyball coaches were very much like, yeah, you can come here and you do both sports. But at the end of the day, volleyball money is paying for it. So volleyball gets control when you do track and not. Coach Josh was very much like, why would I stop you from doing something that you love? So if you, love if you love volleyball and track, you will be able to do volleyball and track. And I was like, that's it, I'm going there. And then of course, later I met Gina and Marcus and I fell in love with the track program. And I think I've been very blessed to be in a spot where I'm allowed to prosper in all aspects, so. Awesome. Lada, are you listening to this? This is a Pan Am gold medal winner, 
high jump record holder at Villanova. And she, they didn't recruit her either. She came to them. The volleyball coach recruited her. Why doesn't this happen to us, Dada? That's unbelievable. That's, that is incredible. That's incredible stories. Two, that's, that is two incredible stories right there. Before, Da, I want to come to you next, Da, but before I do, this is just something I've always thought about, and maybe you can share with us. You know, as, as, a, as a white coach, I always, you, I, you both kind of said it. I always wondered, given kind of the mentality in the South, I could be obviously dead wrong on this, and these are one of these difficult conversations we have. Given the, the mentality in the South, in the history of the South, why, why do, um, and we, I, we hear this in basketball, why do black student athletes say they feel more comfortable if they're from the South, being in the South, um, knowing that, when knowing that if you come up North, it's not the same mentality. Does that, does that, you understand what I'm trying to ask? I think, so Arizona's not the South, but it wants to be the South really bad for some reason. Um, <laughs> but I would say for a lot of us, you know, it's one, it's still our home, you know, so that, that's still, we have as much tie to it that the people that don't, like us because of our skin color do that that's still our home that's still our place and then the second my second reasoning would be you know it may not be as explicit but you feel it everywhere you go so although it may not be confederate flags in the n-word at villanova there's still the implicit um issues there's still the microaggressions you know it's still a a space where no one looks like me so i think that you know, if you're from the South or you're from places where racism is a little bit more explicit, you still know what you're getting. And you're, you're not used to it. You never get used to it, but you, you kind of know how to maneuver through that environment. Whereas like you have to start off on a new footing and then you kind of have to question this person may be really polite to me, but how do they feel about me? And constantly wondering what am I really getting out of this space that I'm in? That's really interesting, really interesting. Sana, you th thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely agree with Danny. I actually came from a high school where they very much actively wave, well, not the high school itself, but the students at the high school actively wave the Confederate flag. We had many instances where people were very open about the racism. And I think from that experience, it's in a way better to be in a setting like that because you know who your friends are and who aren't. Like, they will actively they tell you, I don't like you. I don't like you because you're black. They're open with it. And then coming up north, it's very much, it's a lot different because like Danny said, you have a lot of microaggressions and you don't know, you don't know how to react to those things. Because down south, you very much know how to react. You know, like they have offended me. I have the right to be offended. I feel up north, you have a lot of times where you're being offended, but you're like, did they mean to offend it? Was it very passive? Or like, you don't know how to react. It's a lot of shock. It's definitely a shock culture up there. Like I've had many times where I was like, I had to second guess myself, am I being too touchy on this case? Or was that actively against me? And so I think a lot of people down South are very comfortable being in a space where, although it might be very open here, like, it's also very known, like you can see it. And being able to see something is easier to handle when you can't necessarily see it and you have to continue to second guess yourself and also those around you. That's really enlightening for, for me. This podcast isn't supposed to be for me, but that, that's very articulated really well because I, I would never ask sometimes a black student athlete that we're recruiting from the North he was looking at a school down south. I don't want to mention certain names that we recruit against, but I would think to myself, how as a as a black young man, how can you go down there? And um, but I would never ask it. I would. So I asked you to. So thank you. That's a that's a really 
that's insightful. That, that, that helps me. Dada, you didn't have any choice. You had to come to Villanova. <laughs> no. But, but seriously, you, you know, coming from Southwest Philly and New Magritte, you know, in Philly, Villanova's still Vanilla Nova. Like, it's not comfortable. It, it's, you could go to Temple, LaSalle. You can stay in the city. You could go to a city school. What, what were you thinking as, as a young black man at that time coming out to the main line and Vanilla Nova. Um, so I even talking about Vanilla Nova, like I didn't know the term, but one of my um, like when I had committed, my theology teacher at the time, Dr. Deans, um, she mentioned it to me like after class. She made me stay after class, and she said, um, uh, do you, "Have you ever heard like the term Vanilla Nova?" And I'm like, "No," but I always, I never really like. Um, thought like too deeply about the demographics of Illinois. You know, when you guys recruited me, like I was so in love with you guys. Like you guys brought me in like a family. It made, it made me feel like I was at home. So I didn't really even think about the school itself. I just knew it was a really great institution. Excuse me, but I never really thought about the demographics of it. And when she brought that to my attention, I was like, I like the first thought was like, it couldn't be so much different from the school I came from being that Newman Garetti was a Catholic school. You know, I, I said, I felt like it couldn't be too, too different. Like the people I'm going to hang around with my teammates, um, like it's not going to be too many people I interacted with outside of them. So I, I felt like, I, I thought I was going to be, you know, it wasn't going to surprise me, but my freshman year, it was like culture shock. Like, um, like being there and not really seeing too many people of your same skin color outside of your teammates is really, is different. Um, you know, being like, again, I'm from, like, I'm from, Southwest Philly, like, I don't, I don't, like, seeing a white person is on, or walking around my neighborhood is, like, surprising, like, you're trying to figure out who they are, like, when you're walking, so it's definitely, um, it was definitely, like, a, it was culture shock, it's the only way I could really explain it, it's just that, um, is it was just completely different, and get, adjusting to that, you know, was, it was, uh, I adjusted pretty well, you know, being with the older guys that I had around me, Jalen, and Mikel, and Eric, and Phil, like, I didn't really, struggle with being around people like that. Even Colin, like I'm so close with Colin. Like, I didn't really struggle around being around people that didn't look like me. I could talk to them if I felt like uncomfortable, but like I could always, uh, you know, like easily just, you know, be around people and not feel like I was uh, by myself. So um, it was, you know, Villanova for me, like the Vanilla Nova part of Villanova was, it completely shocked me when I first came in. It's interesting because we've talked to George Raveling, who at the time when he came to Villanova in 1957, I think there was like 12 black students at the time. Um, Terry Kittles, Randy Foy, you know, like, uh, Ed Pinckney came in in like 1981. Terry Kittles in the 90s, Randy in the 2000s. But still, and now you guys, but still the same it's still a culture shock. It doesn't matter if you know it's going to be that way. You haven't lived in that. And someone might tell you, but you're not waking up every day in it. That's what I've kind of learned. It's, those uh, three, it's like it's all just, three generations. I guess the, the hardest part about it is um, like trying to find people that you can relate to like outside of your teammates. Like um, it's just so hard. Like, cause like growing up being an inner city kid, like even the black kids from Villanova aren't really like inner city kids either for me personally. So it's still kind of hard for me to adjust and be even like talking to kids, like even talking to black kids, it's kind of hard too, like trying to figure out, like trying to get a good read on them too and how they feel about things like that. So it's, Villanova is, it, for me personally, has been like, it's been an experience. I would definitely say that when you see things like this, People, of course, like just like we just said, you can tell me all day, but I think the difference is when we're coming out of high school, we're coming from a home, our families, where we can get away from it. When you're living in an environment and you're having to deal with it pretty much on your own, that's a different type of stress. It's a different thing that you're not, you don't know how to react to. And so I think that's the biggest thing that people don't consider when they do make commitments to places like Villanova because it's like oh I've dealt with this all my life 
I got this. And then you get on campus and it's like, wait a second, where are my people? And I'll say I was very blessed to have Danny on my team as a freshman because there were there was a time that me and Danny sat down. I was like, Danny, I need to talk to you. I don't know what to do. I'm stressed. I'm going through it. And I don't like, I don't know if I can stay here. And she was very, she very much welcomed me in her arms and talked me through it. I think she was one of the people that def definitely helped me get through my freshman year. And, and then, and, and how was it for you? And where did you get that wisdom to share with Sanaa? Um, I think it's just, so she's a couple years younger than me. So I think having to have lived through that and dealt with that same situation, um, and having to have those conversations with older older people on my team, I was able to pass that knowledge along. So thinking of transferring, I, I would say, generally say, and people might disagree, but I think a lot of black athletes have had that moment where I don't know if I can be here. And you don't recognize, like they were saying, you don't recognize it when you commit because you're thinking like, okay, it's so it's, it's a lot of white people. Who cares? That that's really the mentality you have. You're not thinking like, you don't. It's not even necessarily thinking about color, even though like we're aware that it's going on and we're black. We're not thinking that it's gonna, you know, make us feel uncomfortable. So I think for me, it was just kind of helping her, like just being honest and talking her through that process, so that you can actually like register your emotions and your feelings. Because like Da was saying, like you don't really know. Like you're kind of like I don't I don't know what this is. Like, even though I've been to this before, I've had this emotion, I don't really know why I'm uncomfortable. And I think for some black athletes and for some black people, you don't wanna say being around white people makes me uncomfortable. But it's like, imagine, I, I was talking to my coach and I was saying like, imagine you're in a room, it's a thousand people in a room and you're the only white person in the room. You're gonna feel uncomfortable. You can be as progressive and as tolerant as you want, if there's no one that looks like you, you're going to feel some type of confliction with your identity. So I think it's just being able to talk to someone and being able to talk to other people that look like you that have gone through that so that you can kind of ground yourself in your identity and then you can kind of go out and express that with like the rest of the community. Yeah, well, well said. Let's, let's take a break and come back. Let's, let's talk, let's come back and talk about uh, on May 25th, you know, Memorial Day, George Floyd incident hits the, the airwaves and, and it's real and we all see it. And then, you know, then all of a sudden you start hearing about Amart Arbery and Breonna Taylor and where you guys were and what you were thinking and what, what it was kind of, what it's, how it's kind of changed the way we are at Villanova. Let's take a break, Mike, and we'll come back and talk about that. You're listening to the Talking Villanova Basketball Podcast presented by Hartford Funds. Back after this. When Mother Nature strikes, count on your CertainTeed roof to perform. That's the commitment we've made to homeowners for more than 100 years. For roofing you can rely on, look no further than CertainTeed. To find a CertainTeed credentialed contractor near you, visit CertainTeed.com. This is a shout-out to the professional tailgaters, game-day grillers, and potluck pros. Whether you bake it, smoke it, stack it, or melt it, there's nothing more important about how you cook up your team spirit while serving it with an ice-cold Coca-Cola, Coke Zero Sugar, or Coke Life. We may not all agree on the best game-day foods, but when you serve your meals with a Coke, you know you've got yourself a winner. Coca-Cola. Taste the feeling. ExxonMobil and Dunn Manning, proud sponsors of Villanova Wildcat Athletics. This podcast is brought to you by Hartford Funds, a leading asset manager based in Wayne, Pennsylvania. While other investment management companies measure performance against the S&P 500, Hartford Funds has a different measure of success, investor satisfaction. Hartford Funds, our benchmark is the investor. J.J. White Incorporated is the single-source, multi-trade contractor for your next construction project. Since 1920, J.J. White Incorporated has been constructing with knowledge and providing service with integrity and safety. 
visit J.J. White online at jjwhiteinc.com. Are you looking for something imprinted or embroidered? If so, let Campus Clothes help you get the look. Whether your team is in the corporate office or on the athletic field, Campus Clothes can supply your team with all its needs. Visit us on the web at campusclothes.com or give us a call at 215-357-0892. You may not play well, but you will always look good. If you think your debit card can't help you with your financial game, you're probably not using the red key. Introducing EasyUp by KeyBank, the tool that helps you reduce debt by setting $1 aside from your checking account every time you use your debit card. Automatically racking up savings and paying down debt with EasyUp. It's how you make financial progress. KeyBank is member FDIC and the exclusive retail bank of Villanova Athletics. NovaCare, the exclusive provider of physical therapy to Villanova. The Wildcats choose NovaCare. So can you. Welcome back as we resume our conversation with Danielle Burns, Sana Barnes, Damir Cosby Roundtree, and Coach, before I turn it back over to you, I've uh, got to send a th- shout out, a thank you to Malcolm Grace, who helped uh, our assistant athletic director, who helped pull, us, pull this podcast together. Malcolm's been doing a lot of great work here in the last couple of months, particularly. Malcolm is uh, a great uh, asset in our athletic department, and um, he and Mark Jackson, I know, have been working with Danielle and Sanaa, especially Demir and the other um, black student athletes, and having great difficult discussions. And, and this is what it's all about. I'm glad we're able to do it today. Um, and, you know, and speaking of that, you, you guys, Sanaa and, and Danielle, especially, um, and, and I know obviously Demir has been out in leading walks and protests and doing a great job. You guys, great job on campus. But it, kind of, it all started kind of on, on Memorial Day with the George Floyd incident and, um, and, it, and it started this awakening, you know, in our country. And Danielle, I'll, I'll start with you. Where were you and when, when you saw it and how, how did you react and, and what has come of that for you? Yeah, so <clears throat> I actually, I've never seen the George Floyd video, that was something that I personally chose not to. I couldn't take it. So I've, I've never seen the video. I was on Twitter. I saw a lot going on. I think I saw it the night of. Um, this is after Ahmaud Arbery, which was hard for me as a track athlete. So when that happened, I was freaking out. And I ended up calling my coach. And I was just like, I want to be honest with you. I'm like scared to run outside. And I was just like, I don't know if I'm working out this summer because I'm, I'm, I'm shook. And that was just like a really, I've always been really into this stuff ever since high school, but it was like, it was a new emotion that was like really taken over me. So when George Floyd happened, um, I saw it before I went to sleep and I was, I was distraught. I was like, okay, that, this is my last time ever looking at police brutality videos again. I, I'm not doing it again. And I woke up just in tears. And it was, I didn't, I didn't get why I was crying, but I woke up in tears and my dad came in my room and I was just like sobbing to him. Like, I don't want this to happen to you. And I think for me, just like looking at my dad and seeing George Floyd, not having watched the video, but seeing George Floyd and just picturing that. And I think for me, that just caused a new fire in me. Um, because I was like, okay, I've now seen this about a hundred times since I turned 16. So since Trayvon Martin, I've now seen too many brown and black men and women. Um, so it was kind of just like the last straw for me. So I guess to answer your question, I saw it when I went to sleep and it, it got me the next morning after I had processed like, okay. Like it was like three people in the row. You, you had Ahmaud Arbery, Sean Reed, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, back to back for us and it was like I can't like just even just looking in the mirror and just seeing like my blackness I was like are we serious right now my blackness is that dangerous to people it's that threatening to people that I have to see these videos every single day amazing Uh, I mean I obviously can't 
imagine. Sana, how about you? Um, yeah, um, much like Danny actually watched the video for George Floyd. I have watched the first half of it and I had to turn it off because it's emotionally just, it's very, I'll just put it in a way, it's upsetting. And it's upsetting because of how many times we've seen it. I did watch the Ahmaud Aubrey video and that was hard because I'm sitting next to my mom and she's telling me, I'm listening to her tell me like, she's scared for me to go into the world world. She's scared that I'm going to be the next victim. And that's hard for me to listen to. But then again, of course I have my dad. I have my cousins that I'm seeing every day. And my dad's always out driving, just doing whatever he does. And every time I remember he was on the phone with us and he was like, hey, I gotta go, I just got pulled over by the cops. My heart immediately dropped. Like, I think in that moment, I almost broke down in tears because I was like, this, that might've been the last time I ever talked to my dad because of what's going on. And then of course, I have a boyfriend who always, he's every day, he's telling me, he's like, hey, I'm about to go run. And I think I begged him a hundred times, please don't run, please stay inside, ride the bike, do something besides going outside and run. And then of course he wears a black hoodie and he always wears a black hoodie and every time he puts it on, I just imagine Trayvon Martin and just imagining this might be the last time I'm seeing these people again because of their blackness. And that's so upsetting and so emotionally draining at the same time because I remember there was a night and I'm sitting, I was just running through all the men in my life, all the women in my life that could possibly lose their life because they were black. And I think the last straw was my little sister came up to me and she looked at me and she said, Sanal, what's going on right now? She couldn't understand what's happening. And it was hard for me to look at her and say, this is just the world we live in. Like I shouldn't have to look at my four-year-old sister and tell her this is the world that we live in, that you have to be careful because you are black. And I want to tell her things like, your black is beautiful because it is. We are all beautiful. We are all human. But the pain that I'm brought every morning because I might wake up and one of my family members or even one of my friends might lose their life because they're black. It's horrible. It's terrifying. And I'm tired of living in fear of that. I'm sick of it. And so when George Floyd happened, I want to say it definitely brought a lot of emotions. It brought anger, it brought exhaustion, and it also brought fear. But that is okay, because these emotions lead to change. These emotions is what keeps these movements going. And I have faith and I have hope that this will change. I might be tired, but I'm not going to keep quit fighting. This is a good fight that we are fighting and we will eventually win because something has to change. Because as you see across America, people are being are waking up. They're seeing that this is not right. And for the betterment of our future, we have to see a difference. We can't go on anymore like this. So I think that's where I am now. I think that's where I was in the George Floyd thing. And I just think that I want to see something happen different something else well said well and, and thank you for sharing that I, I don't i think it's it's just important that um all of us as white people just keep hearing that it's you, we can't ima we can't imagine it so you it's just every but when you hear it it just still blows your mind and i uh, thank you for sharing that da have you and you, you and I have talked about this so many times, and I, I know Villanova people look at our basketball players as well. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't, you know, one thing I hear a lot is, oh, you know, I don't care if they're black or white. I treat them all the same. Yeah, yeah, you do, but that's not the issue. It's what they have to deal with every day of their lives. And I don't think, I think they look at Villanova basketball players a lot and think, okay, like, hey, they, they get treated like kings. Uh, yeah, on campus, yeah. But off campus, have you had situations, hopefully not anywhere close to that, but where you feared um, any, any type of retaliation because of your skin color? Um, 
I can't say like uh, I felt that fear before. Um, uh, I mean, there are times where like after games, uh, I remember one time specifically after a game uh, against LaSalle High School back in high school, um, like, and I had to go, like, I went home with my mom and it was two times actually I can think of. It was one time after LaSalle game high school. I remember during the game, one of the kids had used the N-word in the middle of the game. I can't forget it, remember his name, but he's used it in the middle of the game. And I'm like, I'm talking back to him. And, um, you know, like I like looked to the crowd and like the crowd is like egging him on. So like, I kind of like felt like I had to defend myself off the court afterwards. Like I felt like I had to um, like be ready for whatever, whenever I was leaving with my mom after the game. Um, that was like one time I felt like I had, I was like looking over my shoulder after then. And then another time was, um, my senior year after we won a state championship. And um, I think we, we were beating the team by like 20 something points. Like we were beating them. And my mom was still cheering us on. Like I was, uh, you know, I scored my, my final point of the game and my mom was cheering me on. And like somebody told her like some random dude called her like a, a used the N word to her. And like, I never felt um, like it wasn't directly at me, but I felt like so, and coach, you know how I am about my family and with my mom and everything. Like I'm so, I got so defensive and upset that like I was like ready to go to war, like right then and there. Like it, it was, um, it was like it's only a few times, like because you know, like you said, coach. Like we as players, like uh, we don't experience the same thing as a regular as basketball. Villanova basketball players we don't experience the, regular, the same thing that black students at Villanova experience. Period. Right. Like uh, people look at us as completely differently than they do everybody else. And um, like my mom even brought it to my attention that even though that I'm your mom, people the people the people on campus still treat me differently than they treat you. And like I can I can even think of like uh, one time going back to West Campus uh, my either my freshman or sophomore year, and like the officer won't let my mom go through the gate unless he sees like until he sees my face. He doesn't like let my mom through at all. So it's like kind of like it was just like. Real, it's been a few times where I felt like something was going to happen to my family more more often than me, you know. And being that, like, I'm uh, so uh, I'm gonna say outspoken and so strong willed that I don't really fear for myself, I fear for those around me, and, and I tend to look to protect them. So for me, it was more of being scared of for my family, you know. Like, um, you know, I got two little brothers and a baby sister. And I, I was, I'm like terrified for my little brother going to college soon. And like for the twins that, um, like I just like, and like just don't, like I'm in between of trying to explain to them what's happening and letting them not, and letting, letting them be kids. And it's just, for me, it's just so difficult to just like see everything that's happening. And like, I just, when, I mean, talking about like the Maude Arbery and, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor situations. Like I like went and like grabbed my brother, grabbed the twins. Like I gave them hugs. Like after I found out, and like I was like just it is is like very difficult to like um like I was just so worried about how they were going to live when I, if I'm not there to protect them. For me I think personally. that's something good for Villanova people. Villanova people, all of us to understand. They're not thoughts that white people have to have to deal with. You guys have been really active, and um, Danielle, you you you've been a me member of Unitas. Can you explain to everybody what the Unitas organization is? Yeah, so Unitas really got started during the Colin Kaepernick uh, situation. So it kind of got started. We were I was working with Malcolm and Mark Jack. And we were figuring out ways that the athletes could come together and discuss it because it was clear that we were split on the issue, but we felt like for us to move forward, we had to be united as a community so we could decide all together what do we want to do, how do we want to go about it. So we put together a group for the Black students, and then after doing that, we decided to branch it out into multiple groups so that, you know, different identities were able to have these safe spaces. So we had a group that was race and ethnicity, uh, had a group for mental health, women, LGBTQ+, and then international students. 
So kind of using it as not only a safe space, um, but a place for discussions to talk about the different issues that are happening in our respective communities. And then also as a group that can create and support different events on campus that can celebrate these identities. Um, and then kind of thinking of, okay, these would be our student advocates if we wanted to put together something for these respective identities. So um, the first year was my sophomore year and um, it was a couple of people, uh, football players, basketball players, track, and we did, ju we just put together like a little barbecue. So it was a way so that, you know, the black students on campus could decide, okay, well, you can come here. If you're feeling out of it, you can come here today. We'll vibe, we'll figure it out what it is we need. And then we kind of asked that of the other groups who did the same thing where they were meeting constantly. There's a mental health group. So it's kind of just like student advocacy, but maybe more on a smaller level. And then also being able to have safe spaces for those students. Great. Well, it's great to know we have that ability. We appreciate and really the time and you know and effort and energy you put into that is um, that that can't that that's got to be respected because we only only have a, a limited amount of time. Our time's valuable. Where you choose to put that in your energy is great for our campus and our community. We appreciate it. And then from that organization, from Unitas, then Sana. At, at this time, then you started 13%. If you could explain to everybody what the 13% organization is on our campus. Yes, 13% um, began because uh, one of my teammates um, on the track team came up to me along with another team, um, well, not my teammate, but another athlete from water polo. And we were sitting there and they were actually on um, they're actually some the only um, they're going through same some of the same problems and they sat me down I had a little bit of free time they're like hey so I'm gonna talk to you Dad, did you experience this your freshman year and I was like yes I experienced those exact same things and they just wanted a space to talk and we were sitting there with the intern Jalen Phillips as well and he was sitting there talking to us about it and at his university he came from Louisville they had something like that. And so from there, we kind of started talking and I brought in people like Kadir and Darius and Joya. And that's kind of like where the heart of everything started. As we built 13% and we created it for, for it to be a safe space, like Danny said, like Utah's supposed to be a safe space, but we wanted it a safe space to where you felt comfortable enough. Like we didn't really want administration involved because we understand that some athletes can, <clears throat> Be uncomfortable talking about their experiences in front of administration. So our first meeting, we sat down. We were like, "Hey, we want y'all to come. We want y'all to feel welcome. We want y'all to be able to talk and about all your problems. There is a problem on campus. We want to be able to give you an opportunity to fix that and give you those people to go to, so they know their resources. And then from there, we kind of started to reach out to other groups like BSU. And of course, like sadly COVID happened, but we were starting to work on a way to unite the black student athletes and the black students, because I think a lot of people feel it, but there is a divide between the black students and black student athletes on the campus. And in a time like this, I think it's very apparent that that divide needs to end. We need to be unified more than ever in order to protect ourselves, but also just to create a community that feels welcoming. And I think that's part of that uncomfortableness on campus is finding your people. And in order to find your people, your people have to be unified. And so I think that was the biggest thing with 13% is like, we needed a place to get away to leave those stresses and talk about those situations. We need to find a way to connect with other people on campus as well. That's awesome. I, I know you guys have worked really closely with uh, Malcolm and, and Mark Jackson, our, uh, our athletic director, has been, has been uh, really um, a great advocate for all of you. And, and also, I, I know you've had meetings with Father Peter. And, um, and you know, and these, are, these are the tough times and the tough discussions. And, and you guys are going to um, break out a, a, a new video, um, I hear. And, and um, who wants to speak on that on the on, on the, the challenges of putting together a video and um, we, we just we just did one and 
there's challenges, you know, it's, you want to be truthful, you want to be passionate, um, and, and, and you want to do it consistent with your, with your culture and what you believe in. Um, it, it's a tough thing to do is, so this is 13% is putting, this is, is this the black student athletes or this is the black students on campus? This is the black student athletes in the video. Awesome. And what are some of the challenges putting out a, a video like this at this time? Um, I'll say we ran into a lot of challenges with this video. Um, yeah. It's definitely, we had a lot of people telling us that we should be careful what we said and that we should very much think twice and see how we're portraying the message. And so there was a lot of toss and turn when writing the script for this. I know we went back and forth several times of do we want to make this comfortable or do we want to get our point across or do we want to do both? And I think the biggest challenge that we ran into was our work because we actually, when writing this, we decided that it's not going to be a comfortable video for everybody because we are uncomfortable 24 seven on Villanova's campus. And people expect us to be okay with being uncomfortable. And that's, not okay for me anymore. I'm not okay being uncomfortable. And so if this minute, minute 15 video is uncomfortable for people, I'm not apologetic for that because that's a little taste of my everyday life. And the biggest uncomfortableness of it is we did use words like silence is violence. And I think what we came across is a lot of people took that very personal. And it's not something that you should personalize at all. When we speak silence is violence, we're speaking to those who see things that are actively wrong and choose not to say anything in fear that they might mess up their image. But the thing is, we understand that you might not be a confrontational person and we're not asking for you to be confrontational, but we're asking for people to fight and stand with us. And what that means to us is that even if it's doing something behind the scenes, for example, my social media, it's not very social active. It's like, if you look at my social media, you would not see any of this. And that's because I don't use social media like that. But behind the scenes, I am fighting. And if any, everybody else wants to do that, like that's okay. But as long as you're actively educating yourself and you're actively helping your family understand and make a change and making change in this world that is what we need we are so when we say silence of violence we're not talking to about those who choose not to actively show it we're talking to those who see it who know it's wrong and choose to actively not do anything and so going from that we i believe we said something around my blackness would not be will no longer be a death sentence due to your complicit disregard when we say due to complicit disregard we're talking to those who watch this and essentially when you're watching these things that are happening and you're choosing not to do anything about it, you're saying you're okay with seeing this happen again. And eventually you have to say enough is enough because what if that next person that happens to be a victim of this is one of your friends, is one of the black student athletes from Villanova then what, we do, what do we do? Because now it's at your front door. You have no option to avoid it. You have no option to ignore it now because it's in your community. And so although George Floyd may not necessarily be a part of the Villanova community, he's a part of America. He's a part of something much bigger, along with Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and everybody who's fighting for that. We're fighting for justice, justice for them because that affects us still. Even though we may have not known those people when they were alive, we have to keep their legacy going. We have to keep everything going so it doesn't happen again. So we understand if you're not confrontational, I'm not asking you to be out there on the front lines going to march. I'm not asking that. I'm asking you to speak up for what is right. I think that's, I think that's well said. Da, is there, I, I wanna finish with Da and then go to you. Um, Danielle, to, to finish up, is there, is there, I think you're going to do this in your video, I, I, I've seen, I think it's, it's really well done, and 
um, I showed it to George Raveling and he, he gave me a, a great line. He said, I, I think we, we have to be mature about being uncomfortable with seeing and hearing the truth and, um, and, and, and dealing with the truth, whether it makes us uncomfortable or not. And um, is there anything, Da, that you, you think we can share with, with our Villanova community just to help um, the, the white people in our community understand um, how we can help you? Um, I would say that the, the most important thing would be to first be able to, to be willing to listen to your black peers, um, but really listen to them, not just take for what, the, what they're saying and then just say, I'm sorry for it. Um, I think like the point of, uh, like the point where this becomes, and I've spoken to Joe Flannery, Joe talk, told me this when he called me one time, said the point where this becomes something that changes is when people hear these stories and hear these, how people feel about being uncomfortable and get enraged by that and become like, they need this to change for other people. And I believe, and I like completely agree with him. I believe that like at this point, um, like for me personally, as a black, black student, black man first, but black athlete at Villanova, for people who cheer for us and for people who root for us and support us to not feel upset or feel as though that they don't want things to change for us as black men, it's kind of like disheartening, you know, like I feel like that we need for people at the Villanova community to be open to really listening and being willing to change and understand that something they may have done made us feel uncomfortable, made black people around them feel uncomfortable. I feel like that's like the biggest thing for me is that people have to understand that some that you it, you're not um like don't take offense to what people are telling you. Um be open and be willing to learn. I think that's like the biggest thing in moving forward is that you have to be willing to understand that you may have done something wrong and you need to change that. You know, you may not want if you don't want to change it, you know, that's a whole different conversation. But you should if you are saying that you're anti-racist and that you're for the the uh you're supporting black people and black lives you should have to you you should want for things to change you should feel the need to change yourself and to change what's going on around you in order to to uh make it easier for those that for other black people for other people you know i believe this is a, i believe that the whole issue is is that um it's a simple question. It's a simple rule. It's called the golden rule. Treat you, treat others the way you want to be treated. I feel like if you don't, if you feel as though that you wouldn't want to be treated that way, then it probably isn't right. So I feel like if you don't, if you can't understand that, then I believe that it's, that's where the problem is. Is if you feel like I, I forget the um, the woman's name that said it, but she said that how many? She asked the question: How many people would want? to be treated like black people or black or brown people and nobody raised their hand or nobody spoke up. I think like that speaks volumes that if you feel as though that you can't, you don't want to be treated like those who are sitting right next to you. I feel like then there's an issue with what's going on around you. You should be willing to learn how to change that issue. That's good. Well, well put. I'm putting it on you, Danielle. I don't mean to put you in a tough spot, but you can, you can take us out. Any, any final thoughts about what you, what you guys are doing or what you you want to share with with um any of any of our villanova community about um this black lives matter movement yeah so i think really just off of what zamir and sana said is that it's not enough to not be racist and i think that's the automatic answer that you get when we have these discussions with one another it's the goal right now is to be anti-racist. And it's something that you have to work towards every day. It's not something that, you know, you do A, B, and C, and then you get this badge of anti-racist. It's something that is, it's, it's active. It has to be a character trait. So every single day you're actively working 
to create a more just society. So I think going off of what you know Dada said in terms of what what's the real problem here, I think it I think it's a fundamental question and what do we owe each other? And I think for me is that we have a moral obligation to take care of each other. Whether you be black or white, you have a moral obligation to care about the person next to you. And I think that's something that we're lacking right now is that people often think I don't relate or I don't empathize, so it's not my place to stand up or to fight against it. But no matter what you look like, no matter where you come from, you have a moral obligation to stand up against injustice. And when we're thinking about you know, people our age and thinking of student advocacy, you know, it starts with us. It starts with our generation. The youth have the power to create this, you know, ultimate, you know, revolution, for lack of a better word, in terms of revisioning and reimagining what our society looks like. So we can kind of decide that by the time we're in power, by the time, you know, our generation is leading companies and leading the government, we've decided that anti-racism is a requirement. It's a part of being a patriot in America. So I think the most patriotic thing you can do is embrace freedom for all. You know, it's brave. It's patriotic to care about your fellow citizens. It's patriotic and you're a real community member. We, we praise community at Villanova. You're a community member. When you look at your black brothers and sisters, and I want to emphasize brother and sisters, and you say, I don't want that reality for you. I want better for you. And it's when you're silent in times like this, and they're saying silence is violence because the violence will continue if you don't speak up. So that's the key there. It's not saying you just sitting there, you're, you're hurting me. It's saying my hurt, my pain, that sorrow that we were talking about will persist if the people that have the power, this community that does not feel the same way, if they decide it's okay. So we need, you know, the Jay Wrights, the Mark Jacksons, we need these influential figures to say no longer, you know, I, these are not just athletes to me and it shouldn't have to even come to, you know, what if it's your brother? What if it's your sister? What if it's someone? That, that's the fundamental thing here is it's another human. I don't care if you're my sister or my brother, that George Floyd Payne, you know, you had black athletes in tears. All three of us contacted each other once we heard about what was going on. You had almost every black athlete create a group message like, are you guys okay? Because we knew in that moment, our, our mental, our what was going on in our heads was not good. So it was like, you know, we started, I don't mean to go off on a tangent, we started our, you know, our adolescence with Trayvon Martin. And we lost our innocence. For me in eighth grade, for them in seventh and sixth, we, we lost that and we, we kind of learned, okay, maybe our blackness is something, maybe it means something. And now we're reaching the end of our coming of age tell and we're, we're really grasping it now. So I think ultimately what we need from our Villanova community is to embrace what a community is. Because right now there's two Villanovas. Right now there's a Villanovan and there's a black Villanovan. And we want those to, we want them to mean the same thing because right now they don't. So I think just to like wrap it up is that a question that you have to ask yourself is what do we, what do we owe each other? And if right now you're saying nothing, we have a problem. But if you're starting to click in your head, I have a moral obligation to Sanai. I have a moral obligation to J-Red. I have a moral obligation to Dada to do what's right. Then I think we're moving in the right direction. Well, we'll go out on that. I love it. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you are outstanding. Mike, you can take us out. Thanks to our guests, Sana Barnes, Danielle Burns, and Damir Cosby Roundtree. Thanks for listening to the Talking Villanova Basketball Podcast presented by Hartford Funds. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Just a reminder, you can follow Coach Wright on Twitter at VU Coach J. Wright. You can also follow Villanova Basketball at NovaMBB on Twitter and Instagram. We'll have alerts posted on those accounts whenever a new podcast is available for download. Or you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean. And for more great content, check out the web home of the Wildcats, Villanova.com. 
For our producer, Matt Fraschilla, this is Mike Sheridan saying thanks again for stopping by. We look forward to having you join us again next time for the Talking Villanova Basketball podcast presented by Hartford Funds. Stop by Great American Pub, Bar, and Grill with locations in Conshohocken, Wayne, and Phoenixville. If you're looking for fine food in a casual atmosphere, Great American Pub is the place for you. Come out to Great American Pub for great food, great times, and great fun. For more information, visit us at www.greatamericanpub.com.